Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Dr. Ernest Moy is a medical officer with the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. For almost a decade, these agencies have studied and published important trends in the U.S. health system insofar as the quality of care obtained and the disparities of care obtained. One aspect, amongst many that they have studied, relates to mental health and substance abuse. Dr. Moy, thank you for talking to us about these aspects. A pleasure. Before we go further, I want people to know that you can access the two reports, one on the quality and one on the disparity issues via the internet at www.ahrq.hhs.gov. The reports are detailed, and it's a lot to download, so you might want to consider asking them to send you a printed copy, which can also be done from the website as well. Okay, Dr. Moy, let's start with the statistic. Your report notes that in the year 2004, almost 25% of all hospital stays for people over the age of 18 were for mental health or substance abuse disorders. That seems like a pretty hefty number. Well, I mean, I think mental health and substance abuse are very important parts of our healthcare system. And often we don't pay a lot of attention to them, but we do think this is a really, really important aspect of healthcare for us to track as part of a national healthcare quality and disparage report. So over the years, we've done a lot of work trying to work with our partners that work on mental health. So our partners over at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, as well as the uh, National Institutes of Mental Health to kind of gather all this data related to mental health and substance abuse. And I think some of the findings that we show in the reports are actually fairly interesting and also fairly unique in some ways. Give us a little details, please. Okay, so we track mental health and substance abuse from a variety of different directions. And so I think you've alluded to some of the things that we do report on. We report on rates of people needing mental health care and actually getting it, and similarly needing substance abuse treatment and actually getting it. And we also look at things like suicide rates and other kinds of outcomes of substandard mental health and substance abuse treatment. We think it's unique because we, we compile these different kinds of statistics from a lot of different sources and put it all together in one place. So overall, for a person with symptoms of a major depressive disorder, only about two-thirds of those folks actually get mental health treatment. And similarly, for people who meet criteria for needing treatment for substance abuse, the proportion actually get care is very, very low. One of the things noted in the report that in the year 2006, suicide was the 11th largest cause of death in the United States with 33,000 suicides per year. If you calculate that out, that's four deaths per hour. That's very troubling. Do you see any trends in the sense, is it going up, is it going down, is it regional, is it cultural? In terms of up and down, there's a lot of variation across different groups. And so for many groups that we think about and worry about the most, it actually hasn't been changing that much. So we, you know, we think about kids and we think about the elderly as that are more likely to commit suicide. Kids, actually, it's not true, and the rates actually remain very low, thankfully. And among older individuals, we actually see some declines over time. And it's interesting that we, in contrast to that, we see some increases in the middle age groups. So the 45 to 64 is one of those age groups that is increasing in their suicide rates over time. And so overall, when you mush together all the different age groups, it's, the rates are about, are about constant. Uh, we don't really see a lot of up or down, but there are just shifts across different uh, groupings of people. Are there any significant shifts insofar as access to mental health care? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? 
overall, we don't really see a significant change. We, we only have the ability to track it over the last five, six kind of years. And over that time period, I wouldn't say we've seen very much improvement in access to treatment for depression or for substance abuse. If I could jump back, there are some very interesting aspects of your last question as well still, though, and that is besides the age groupings, we do see very wide variation in geography as it relates to suicide rates. And so Western states have rates. Some of the states are double the lowest rate, which we see typically here in the Northeast. And there are also large differences related to race and ethnicity. So minorities are typically less likely to commit suicide compared with whites. Are the Western states because it's more rural and there simply is less mental health available? Or do you have any evidence that perhaps it's a cultural thing, that people don't look to mental health when they actually need some, some intervention? I think it's a combination of all those different things. I think access is certainly one of the problems, uh, but then cultural attitudes, I think, are also one of the problems. So we see these racial variations in many different parts of the country. One of the things that I thought was very interesting is that when you looked at the suicide rates, and I realize this more to mental health issues than just suicide, but you found no differences in the level of income or education across the uh, groups that committed suicide. It seems that once upon a time, I guess, the assumption was that if someone wasn't educated or a lower income group, they would be more likely to commit suicide than not. But your data doesn't hold to that. That, that is typically true. And I'll say it, for mental health and substance abuse in general, it seems to be one of the areas where socioeconomic status seems to play less of a role compared with things like, for instance, race and ethnicity. So for most of the healthcare, if you look at income or uh, education or insurance, they really predict a huge amount of the variation in terms of healthcare. But mental health and substance abuse is in some ways different because they seem to p play a smaller role and race and ethnicity um, are much more prominent features, perhaps related to what you'd mentioned earlier, which are the cultural effects. Very interesting. I must also compliment you folks because you listed nicotine dependence as a substance abuse disorder. I think that's great because usually it's not considered as a, as a normal sort of group of substance abuse phenomena. Mm -hmm. Well, cigarettes are probably one of the biggest problems that our nation faces. And one of the things also, just as a matter of having read the report, interestingly, that the section immediately following the substance abuse disorder in which you talked about nicotine dependence was a section on respiratory diseases. I thought that was very, um, I'm sure it was coincidental, but I thought it was kind of neat. Is there a single biggest barrier to getting mental health? Are people getting counseled properly by their primary care doctors or other people? Do you have any data to say there might be a disparity in who's getting counseled? Hey, you need help. Yeah, we see it at two different levels. One of the things that we track are people that have depressive symptoms, for instance, who get some care, not necessarily good care, just any care at all. And we look at the issue of do they get any care at all. First of all, we, as I mentioned earlier, about two, only about two-thirds of people get some care. That means a third of people aren't getting any care at all. And if you look among the different groups who are getting some care, the rates are very different by race. And so about two-thirds of whites typically get some care when they're depressed, but the rates for black and Hispanics are closer to only about 50%. That's the any care. Not this year, but last, in last year's report, one of the foci that we emphasized was getting minimally acceptable care. Mm -hmm. And so the psychiatric community has defined for many mental conditions what they consider the minimum of treatment. And when you use this higher criteria, did the person get minimally adequate treatment, 
only about a third of patients actually get minimally adequate treatment, first of all. And again, you still see these very large racial and ethnic differences. Blacks and Hispanics are just uh, less likely to get minimally adequate treatment. You, you bring up two interesting points. One, again, going back to a question, I mean, a comment that you just made. I'm curious, how do you track depressive symptoms? Do you get the data from the primary care providers and that becomes part of the surveys that you do? No. The problem with that is that you'd miss everybody who's depressed and actually didn't go to see a doctor. And so one of our primary sources is a very large survey that uh, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, conducts each year where they go and they talk to the people, the general population, and they ask them about different characteristics of themselves as well as issues related to mental health and substance abuse. And they ask them a whole series of questions that the experts have compiled as fairly accurate in terms of screening for depression. And so we're talking about just the people who screen positive for this depression kind of screen. They subsequently then asked them the kind of care that they received. And among the people that screen positive, that, those are the rights I'm telling you about. So, you know, people who really need to have mental health treatment, only about two-thirds are getting it, one-third or not. One of the statistics also that you mentioned in the quality report were that teenagers, those are kids between 12 and 19 years of age, were less likely to complete substance abuse treatment programs as opposed to kids over 20. And yet that group, the 12 to 19-year-old group, would seem to be more vulnerable. Do we have any sense of why they're not completing the treatment? From that particular database, we don't really know why they're not completing uh, treatment. We simply know that the treatment is not completed. And to compound that, we also know that among uh, adolescents, so the 12 to 17 type of age range, when they have a substance abuse problem, they're also less likely to get any treatment. So they're hitting the difficulty uh, getting into treatment and then also getting having the difficulty of completing treatment. This becomes very much of a snapshot of the mental health issues uh, and substance abuse issues in our country. Where, where does this data go? Who uses it? Well, we think that policymakers would find this of interest for a number of reasons. One, I think most policymakers, like we were, hopefully will be shocked to see that unlike for many medical conditions where treatment is available, for mental health conditions, there are so many people who need treatment and simply are unable to get it, or if they are able to get into the system, are unable to get even minimally adequate uh, kinds of treatment. So that's one issue. We also think that the issue of the disparities, talk about a number of them, but differences in receiving care related to race, ethnicity, are related to age, related to geographic part of the country, that all of these things also should be interest, uh, of interest to policymakers as they try to make optimal policies to kind of get care to everyone in need. Well, it's very important to obviously clarify what the problem is so we can identify areas that are requiring some intervention. You also mentioned in the report something called the Healthy People 2010 Target, and that apparently some of the goals had not been met and some of the other goals are getting closer to have being met. Could you identify or explain what the Healthy People Project is, sir? Okay, so Healthy People is a way of tracking the progress of our nation's health uh, towards stated goals. And so at the beginning of the decade, so for Healthy People 2010, way back in the year 2000, they set goals for the nation to be achieved by the year 2010. And so they set goals, for instance, for some of the substance abuse treatment measures that we talked about. So we hope that by 2010, this proportion of people with substance abuse disorders would be able to get treatment. And what we typically find is that the 
those goals have not been met, that all the goals that were set back in 2000 related to substance abuse in particular have not been met. And obviously it's 2010, and so we don't exactly have a whole lot more time to work on this uh, activity. Currently, people are working on 2020 and setting goals for our nation to achieve by the year 2020, and we'll see if we have more success with those. You know, one of the issues that has taken over our headlines over the last year or so are the issues regarding mental health parity and the whole health care reform problem. And it's, it's a massive problem. It's certainly requiring a lot of work. Does your data show any differences regarding those who have insurance, those who have private insurance, public insurance, and their access to mental health and substance abuse disorder treatment? Right. I mean, I'll say, first of all, that our information does not really have enough years since the mental health parity bills have been passed, really, to be able to provide an answer about whether or not it's making a difference. We do capture in these data sources, typically, information related to health insurance, but the problem is that the way we normally capture it, it does not distinguish between adequacy of coverage for medical conditions as opposed to mental health conditions. And so what we typically find is the health insurance variables are not very useful when looking at at receipt of mental health care. One of the other things that I am pleased to read is you actually talked about linguistic issues when it comes to delivering mental health care. Most mental health care requires a great deal of verbal interaction, and so the doctor has to be able to understand the patient, and the patient has to be able to understand the doctor. I'm just, I guess in some respects, I'm just applauding you for bringing up the linguistic issues. It really can be a problem. Oh, yeah, I think this has been well described in the research literature as well. And so there's work that's been done, not by us, but by others in the past, that have shown, probably not surprisingly, if you are Hispanic and only speak Spanish, that if you have a Hispanic psychiatrist or mental health provider, that your probability of having a successful outcome and sticking with your treatment are much higher than if you have a, quote, ethnically discord provider. It seems so obvious, but it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I think we know language is a critical barrier for many aspects of healthcare, but probably nowhere uh, is it bigger than in mental health care. Interesting. Very interesting. So what's the future for you? You guys are now looking at setting goals for the year 2020. Uh, anything different? Uh, what have you learned in, in the last couple of years that's going to help you modify and better, better your research? Well, I'll say, first of all, I'll, I'll say that we're not directly involved with setting mental health goals for 2020. This is a huge undertaking, the Healthy People uh, activity that involves people throughout our the department and our agency, as well as the uh, private sector and members of the public. And these folks are engaged in looking at the data that's accumulated over the past decade, making recommendations for tracking and setting targets for those particular measures that they, they want to track. So much, much bigger, bigger than us. Hopefully our reports can help them in doing some of those things. So hopefully our reports can help them as they look at the different measures that they can use for tracking health, mental health. And hopefully looking at our information will enable them to set more perhaps achievable goals for the year 2020. Well, it's a very good snapshot of multiple variables in our society, and that's one of the reasons why I was so pleased that you folks would allow us to interview and bring this information. If people really want to look at the details, it's far more than we can discuss in this very short interview, but I do encourage folks to go online to order the reports and to monitor the other areas of work that your agency is doing, which relate to just a multitude of areas, actually. Dr. Ernest Moy is the medical officer with the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Dr. 
Dr. Moy. This has been an interesting, quick overview because we really couldn't touch on all the topics, but it gives the flavor of the trends that are going on in the treatment and access to uh, mental health and substance abuse care in our country. Sir, thank you so much. Sure, a pleasure.